EcoHealth, your internet radio. Okay, we are back here on Radio EcoHealth and we are doing the podcast for the road trip show. Um, and we are continuing. I think we are just going to talk a lot of bits and pieces today of some of the previous uh, shows we did. And I think this is actually working out quite lacquer today. I don't know about you, but I, I'm really enjoying today's <laughs> no, today. Today's being a lot of fun. Yeah. We were chat, I, think we le- I think we left the last podcast where I was eating some moussas in Fordsburg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those samosas are the best. And, no, and, and, the and best. your commercial samosa and your pick and pay chicken samosa and stuff just no. doesn't work. It's not the same as that proper one out of a good Indian shop yeah. in one of those areas. Man, I, I live for that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Besides the fact that I found an interesting spot to photograph. And in fact, in fact, the Fordsburg one is already on the road trip app. Oh, is I it? saw that okay. this weekend. Emil had already added it. Awesome. No, that's like it. But yeah, so we were chatting about my last week and what I did. So I mean, I did the grave hunting thing. I found I found the Battle of Ellis Park. I found the Battle of Fordsburg. And uh, yeah, yeah, like Ellis Park, tens of thousands of people go to go to Ellis Park for a rugby match and they drive past that mural. Yeah, and, and they don't guaranteed, even know. guaranteed, everybody thinks it's something to do with um, anti-apartheid something because that's what it looks like. It's it's, it's yeah. guys fighting soldiers. Yeah, but it goes back to 1922 strike there at, at Ellis Park, where one of the the Imperial Light Horse, I think it was, was actually ambushed on the parade ground in their tents, and they lost a couple of guys when the miners started yeah. shooting at them. But it's just an interesting one to me that there's you know very few memorials as such, official statues and things, which was obviously the focus of road trip. Pro- yeah. Proper statue in the middle of town, or a you know national monument, or something, or yeah. something like yeah. that was where we focused on road trip. But then we, I think the realization came this last week that these kind of spots also deserve to be on there because it is a massive happening, and just because there's no monument for it doesn't mean it's not important. Yeah, and I do know at last count that the Joburg Heritage Society was actually in process of putting up an official 1922 Rand Revolt Memorial at um, Bromfontein Cemetery, I think it is. Yeah. But to give you an idea again, I mean, I couldn't get into it, but there's a little school up in Brixton. and I'm just trying to, try, trying to remember the name. I forget the name of the school. And I tried to get into the school, but I wasn't allowed access because I'm not a parent. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the facade of one of the buildings has still got the bullet holes from the 1922 strike in yeah. the brickwork around the doors on the front of the school. Oh, my soul. Because, <laughs> <laughs> wow. again, some of the strikers that hold up in the school and the, and the military were assaulting the school. Yeah. And there's machine gun marks all over the front of the school that you wow. apparently can still see. Yeah. So maybe I've got to phone the principal or something and ask him pretty please if I can come in and have a look yeah, and yeah. take photographs of the bullet holes in his school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a weird one. <laughs> but then also this last week I actually met, I went to meet Emil and um, he had a function on down in Poch. Now everybody goes, Poch, ah, Poch is 100 k's away yeah. from Johannesburg. And the first part of the drive is horrible. You've got to go down... You, you hit southern Johannesburg and you swing off onto the Poch Highway. Yeah. yeah. And uh, 
you're going down exactly between Lanasia and Soweto and it's stop go and there's traffic lights and there's trucks and there's yeah. goats and on the road is a horrible drive. <laughs> goats. There's goats on the road and yeah. <laughs> oh, <my soul. laughs> but as soon as as soon as you get past that, the last eighty Ks or so no, no, no probably not even probably the last sixty, seventy Ks into Poch, you're skirting the edge of the Freelafort Dome. And oh, the yeah. countryside is just spectacular. I mean, if, when you're driving there, I mean, you don't even have to know a lot about the geology. If you go in there, you just go, wow, I'm on the edge of this meteorite impact. And these mountains and hills I'm seeing is because of this rock hitting the earth. And you're going over the beautiful farmlands. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. it's actually a beautiful drive into Poch. And, again, no names, no pectoral, but we, I get into Poch. And I said to Emil, where do we go? He says, no, this is the only spot to meet on a Sunday morning. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, I stop in there, and you've just left Gauteng. You've just left Gauteng when you get into yeah, Poch. Yeah, And their landmark is there's millies planted in the middle maniki of the of the highway. <laughs> the okay. double-lane road going into Poch, yeah. there's millies planted there. Instead of pretty plants and palm trees or pretty flowers... Millies. Millies, for those who don't know what, and maize. There's maize planted there. Yeah. You're right, you're did you know they're in um, Nelson Mandela way here in Pretoria? There's also millies. <laughs> Can you? Yeah. <laughs> well, we saw it the other day. <laughs> no, because I mean, Poch again, I mean, that's just on the edge of that massive farming belt going down into the northwestern free state, which is yeah. maize heaven for South Africa. I mean, there's just mm. kilometers and hundreds of kilometers of maize. Yeah. Isn't it, uh, don't they also call it corn on a cob? Corn, yeah, corn. For the Americans, it's called corn. Yeah. But arrive there, stop, go into a little cafe, and everything you've heard about the Burevos curtain is true. <laughs> 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 it's a different world to Johannesburg. Yeah, You've totally. got the, the decor is Feltzkuns in various descriptions hanging from the beams. Yeah. The... Entire menu is in Afrikaans. I think they're called the pizzas Vavil, Vavil Diego or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's Buddha music playing over there. I suppose the, uh, that pizza has got Buddha voice around and the, the, the Buddha was, and, yeah. Uh, to and make it look like a wagon wheel. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a different world, and it's 100 kilometers out of Johannesburg, and it's a whole, whole different spot. But I think yeah. we, we spent about three hours just chatting on bits and pieces. And, I mean, we made a joke of it in the first couple of podcasts about Afrikaans, the Afrikaans language monuments. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, I think we got to 13. 13. I think monuments. we got to 13. There's 13 Afrikaans language monuments in South Africa. Yeah. No other country on the planet has got monuments to their own language. Language, yeah. Not one. <laughs> We've got 13. And I'm sure we're still missing a couple. And we're keeping a beady eye out for little dorpies with another, with another tal monument. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for us and that's sort of been an ongoing theme well it was an ongoing theme for the first couple of podcasts that we that we ran and especially i think this is the second one or third one where we explain the origin of the afrikaans language yeah and the beauty right, yeah. and the complexity <clears throat> behind it i mean yeah it's a story that i love and you're now in the middle of afrikaans land poch is genuine yeah. afrikaans land and um Oh, there's, uh, there are beautiful story while we were sitting there. But anyway, but I then asked Emil because <laughs> I've tried to count and I cannot get there with my knowledge of the history. My knowledge is not broad enough. Yeah. I asked him how many republics were actually formed 
by the foot trackers. Yeah. And that started Emil. <laughs> and I should have actually recorded it because it would have been the most beautiful podcast. Yeah. And I've, I've got to listen to him another two or three times to get all these little bits and pieces of the history and yeah. tie them up like he could. I mean, I've got the bits and pieces, but I can't put them all together in exactly that order of the way he explained it because he's so good with the interpersonal relationships of all these different characters that have been popping up through our history. I mean, all these people I've been highlighting play roles in this. Yeah. And we came up, I think, with 13 republics. Jeez. 13 (laughs) foot-tracker republics before the eventual amalgamation into the free state and the old South Afrikaans Republic. Yeah. And that does not count. The ones down in the Western Cape and the guys got pissed off with the Dutch East India Company and the Brits <laughs> <laughs> down before the Great Trek. <laughs> so yeah. you've even got a couple that were formed then. But 13 different republics. And one beautiful story that came out of this, there was some, I don't I, I forget the exact detail, but the, there was even a, a Bura civil war at one stage. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're always talking about these guys. You know, when you put five of these foot trackers in a room, you got six. You got six political parties and seven churches within the first three hours. <laughs> yeah. And that theme goes through the whole of our history. Yeah, and two of these guys got seriously angry at each other, and the one lot gets his little commander together and goes running off now to go and donner this other guy. <laughs> Paul Kruger steps into the middle of this. <laughs> And actually negotiates a bit of a truce. But while they're in the tent, a couple of gunshots ring out. (laughs) (laughs) And there lies one guy dead. Oh, wow. Okay. But it turns out that that was a bit of a personal battle between these two Okies. They just couldn't stand each other. Yeah. That was the the one and only casualty (laughs) of the Buddha Civil War that we had. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my soul. That is a good one. Nah, I, I, honestly, I wish I'd, I wish I'd actually recorded that that, that hour I sat, I sat with Emil there. It was just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And this guy doesn't like this guy, and this guy doesn't want this, and then these guys break away and form this, yeah, and then this oak doesn't want this, and oh my goodness, it's just, it's just such a yeah. such a tangled web of different stories that run through there. Yeah. But yeah, that 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 that's sort of the kind of two weeks that that that's my life doing the road trip app. Um, hunting monuments, looking at graves, finding little spots, yeah. tweaking the history, doing a little bit of editing on the app, trying to find new places and new things to add. You know, we're busy in the, like in the process yeah. of adding all the different lighthouses Don't in the country. about the pyramid. I'm a, oh, the pyramid, the South African pyramid. <laughs> After the music, you must tell that one. <laughs> you must tell it, but in Dutch. The South African, South African pyramid story. Yeah, we've got a pyramid. We've got a pyramid. The pyramid's done in PE. Yeah, <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> but yeah, that's no, so again my last week. I've got a. I've got two two separate groups of clients coming out in the next month. So I'm going to be on the road as of the middle of next month again. Thank goodness. Yeah, my first one is a father daughter out of the USA. Coming out here, an interesting one. My itinerary on that one is as follows. I drive to Hoodsprite. I drop my car in Hoodsprite. Yeah. Hoodsprite, I fly to Cape Town. Okay. I meet them in Cape Town. I spend a couple of days in Cape Town. They've asked to go shark diving. I think shark diving was one of our top spots as well. Remember the top yeah. spots podcast? I said the shark yes, diving was yes, one of them. Yes. We shark diving in Hansbai. Mm. We then get back to airport the next day. Then we fly back to Hoodsprite. 
And then we've got a couple of nights in the Kruger Park. Oh, lacquer. And that's awesome. going to be awesome. I've got a night in, a night in Auburn. From Auburn, we go up to Sitara, or Lataba, Lataba, Sitara, and then Sitara back down to Talamati. Okay. And that's going to be, that's that whole central area of the park. And again, listen to that podcast on that central area of the park. That is absolute game paradise. Yeah. Also, the, the one of my favorite roads in that in that section is the is the Timbavati Road. Now, the Timbavati Road branches north just outside of the Open Gate, and it branches north, and you wind up and you follow the Timbavati River right up to almost up to Olifant's Camp. Yeah, and that road has always been one of my best roads. I I just have the most incredible luck in game viewing on that on particular that road. Ah, oh, awesome, and. My family has a great memory of that road. Because again, for the family, Christmas time is Kruger Park. Kruger Park and a bit of Mozambique and scuba diving in Moz is our stock standard kind of Christmas holiday. Yeah. But a couple of years back, we were on the Timbavati Road and I see there's a couple of cars in one of these little, like little annexes. You know, you've got the main road, you get like a little loop road, a little viewpoint yes, that yes. goes to a river yeah. or a little, little bend around a tree or something. <laughs> yeah. And we've come, we've come through this little dip, little, little river dip, and I see there's a couple of cars now parked up on the side there. So I maneuver in there, and there's a leopard. There's oh, a yes. leopard, I don't know, not even 20 meters off in the bush. <clears throat> and you get the smell, and there's, there, there's a kill. Yeah. Eventually, we can see that the leopard's lying on a very, very old and dead water buck. Yeah. But now we start looking at this leopard, and we can see it's not a, this leopard's not happy. The one eye is like all milky, and you start looking slightly more carefully, you can see a whole lot of porcupine quills stuck. Oh, in, in, in her cheek. <coughs> her cheek, his cheek. Yeah. And this is not a happy leopard. Yeah. Anyway, the leopard disappears into the into the bush. I mean, it's thick riverine stuff. Yeah. So I maneuver out, and I now go down into the little dip. Yeah. Now, one of my hobbies is wildlife photography. I love my camera. Camera, camera and binoculars and stuff are one of the things I will spend stupid amounts of money on. <laughs> so I'm out of my camera. My daughter is starting, starting to, to take the photography thing, so she's got one of my bigger lenses on her camera as well. Yeah. Windows are open. Now we're looking at, at the at this leopard out of the passenger side. Yeah. Now my wife is sitting sitting down over there, my daughter's out camera out the window. I've now got my camera pointed out the passenger side window. Yeah. And this leopard decides to charge us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm getting some I'm getting the most magnificent <coughs> photographs. Yeah. Autofocus is going stupid. Click, 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 click. My wife is screaming. She thinks she's going to get eaten alive. <laughs> the one daughter's dive down into the footwell <laughs> to get away from this leopard. <laughs> and this thing stops. It stops probably six, seven meters, maybe not even that far from the car. Yeah. But this thing is angry. Eh? Wow. Snarling and the claws yeah. are out and it's doing its whole number. My wife's trying to close the window. I'm pushing the button to keep the window open so I can take photos. My <laughs> Absolute pandemonium in the car. My wife still still maintains I tried to kill her that day. <laughs> no, honey, it was just an appetizer. Yeah. 
<laughs> but Kruger, I mean, like I, I always maintain, I think Kruger has got to be your world-class destination, your wildlife destination. To have those kind of experiences. Yeah. yeah. And it's, Joe, everybody. Anybody can have that experience, a little bit of time, a little bit of patience Yeah, in Kruger. So, I mean, the game viewing that you get there is absolutely spectacular. So, for the first time, I think, in two years or two and a half years now, I've got clients that we're taking back into the Kruger Park. Yeah. Good riddance to COVID, whatever. No, COVID must not disappear. <laughs> but I've got them, then I've got three days at home, then I've got a massive group. I've got a tour operator out of the U.S. that feeds me um, coach tours. Yeah, yeah. I've got a group of 81 packs coming in. Sure. Two coaches, three coaches, depending on what the COVID regulations are going to tell us. Yeah. To do with capacities and things. But again, some interesting stuff. Um, doing the bookings and doing the arrangements for this tour. A lot of the, the businesses have survived, but only just. Yeah. Very few of the small operators, when I say the small operators, the guys that run the little safaris into Kruger or into Tutlui Game Reserve or the little boat tour guy or this kind of stuff. <coughs> They've also been sitting for two years, two and a half years with nothing, yeah. nada, zip, nada. Yeah. And I've hit one or two of them that can't handle the capacity. Oh. They can't handle the 81 packs. They yeah. don't have the vehicles anymore. Yes. They've sold it off. Oh. It's gone. Yeah. So we've had to do a little bit of interesting panel beating on one or two of the <laughs> destinations to get the capacity. Because, I mean, you can't yeah. arrive with a coach load. And then say, hey, guys, I can only take 45 of you. The rest of you sit in the coach for the day while 45 of you go on the tour and the other ones can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's a, it's a little indicator of what's happened to our tourism industry. Yeah. That that stuff almost doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it was decimated. It's, it decimated. It was absolutely decimated. But... When I started phoning some of the guys, oh, Diedrich, you're back, yeah. Hey, you Americans. I said, my Americans are back. Fantastic. I'll get the stuff ready for you. We're there. We're in. We're there. We're there with you. Yeah. Hotel prices have come down. They're all hungry for the business. Yes. And I've been able to offer the tour at a price lower than I offered it two and a half years ago. Yeah. Just see. <laughs> and that goes against any any kind of logic you know, with inflation and all the rest of it, but yeah. I think I, I think I cut the price by about two hundred and fifty or three hundred US per person, sure. compared to what would have been yeah. twenty nineteen prices. Yeah, yes, which is good news. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's like the Americans say, "Bang for your buck." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bang for your buck. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's really good news, though. Is that the, the guys who have survived are hungry. They're there. I think the service is it's going to be an interesting exercise. I think I'm probably going to be one of the first big coach tours that goes through on the normal route again. Yeah. Again, a couple of challenges. We've got to have a couple of PCR tests done en route. So in order to cross the border into Lesotho, in order to cross yeah. the border into Swaziland or Eswatini. You know, you've got to arrive there with your little PCR test. So yeah. we've had to adjust the itinerary a bit and get the testing guys out. And they're all going to have little barcodes and things. And I don't know what else is involved with yeah. that kind of stuff. But it's going to be an interesting exercise to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And to see the reaction of the hotels and of the, of the staff and who's actually left. 
yeah. of those guys. I mean, because you build up a, almost a kind of camaraderie with the, with the spots you always stop yes. at because they know you. They know how you operate. They know what you want. They know how you want to run stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you hope that that's still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it could be interesting, yeah. But, yeah, that those guys land. And it's a nice itinerary. We, we, we meet the clients in Cape Town. Okay. So we do the normal Cape Town stuff, Table Mountain, and a bit of a city tour, and we do the the Cape Town um, Peninsula route again. There's that podcast on that one. Yes, Visit yes. the seals and go down to Cape Point and take a little train up to the top and come around the other side, and we visit the the penguins and Simonstown oh, and have yes. lunch on the... The penguins. The penguins. <laughs> I we remember... Do you remember that podcast we did with um, Cherry Berry? When you ripped out your phone and you got the penguins over the mic. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we do the penguins and we're back into, back into town. And when we fly into Durban, we take a day trip up to Sony Pass. It's always an exciting one. That's always a most magnificent trip up Sony Pass. And the four-wheel yeah. drives up that mountain pass. You get to the top there, visit that little village. Next back that night back down to Durban, so it's a heck of a day for the guys. Then we head up through Zululand. That's always a lot of fun. The history of the Zulus and the wars and the fights and Shaka. Yeah, and yeah. The little Zulu village. We visit St. Lucia. We do the boat trip in St. Lucia. Then they get National Geographic Live Day One when they go into the Umfulosi Tlutlui Game Reserve. Yes. That's always one of the most exciting days because these guys, again, coming from the U.S., is now day one of safari. Yeah, yeah. And no matter what you see, it could be an impala, giraffe, all the stuff that we think is so common for these guys is yeah, National Geographic Day One. Come live. <laughs> yeah. That's always a and and the and the Tlutluium Filosi Park is again is one of those, the the scenery is just such so spectacular, beautiful Zululand hills yeah. with the thorn trees and the bush and the thick rivering stuff in Tlutlui and the sort of the more thorn felty stuff down in yeah. the Mufalosi. Beautiful. And it always produces. That game reserve always, always, always produces. Open vehicles and I mean, yeah, you get the sometimes you're lucky enough to get the animals right next to the vehicles and these guys come back with big wide open eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and we spend the night we spend the night now in Saint Lucia village itself. <laughs> You got to warn them about the hippos that walk on the road at night. Uh, yeah. The hotel we're staying in. Every once in a while, you wake up in the morning. The hippos have taken up residence in the swimming pool <laughs> <laughs> and for a little swim. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that—that—that's real stuff down there. You yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, I worked as a—I worked for the Natal Park Board many, many moons ago down that part of the world. And St. Lucia's, an, again, it's—I think it's the only town in South Africa that's entirely surrounded by a game park. Yeah. And That's it's not awesome. unusual. Seriously, the hippos walk down the main road at night. There's monkeys and all sorts of animals that walk around. And they've got those huge uh, snails there. The big land snails, Yo. and they've got the crocodiles <laughs> and the estuary. From there, we go up into Eswatini, Swaziland. That's always a fun. Swaziland such a chill little country. Again, fantastic scenery, <laughs> beautiful markets and stuff to visit. It's different. It's just different to South Africa. Yeah. So it's very hard to... Explain that. Then we go into Kruger for a couple of days. We drop them at the gate. They get picked up by open vehicles. And they spent two days on open vehicle safari in Kruger in the southern section. And again, some of the stories they come back on, some of the footage, those jeeps come back. I mean, one of them, a couple of years back, full-on battle between lions and hyenas over a kill right next to the car. You know, these guys come back and they're just sort of going, wow, this is just unbelievable stuff. 
Then we're back into Joburg, and then we fly to Vic Falls. We've got a couple of nights up in Vic Falls. I haven't been to Vic Falls now for a while. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that one. And, I mean, that river's got to be pumping. Yeah. That's got to be. It's got to be in such such high volumes right now. Yeah. Rain was insane this year. Yeah. I mean, the, the water that's coming over the Vic Falls now fell six months ago in Angola. Yeah. So, you know, rainy season in Angola means Vic Falls now is good season. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, that last... The, I'll, you, can, you can check it out. The, 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 I think it's, it's called the Zambezi River Authority. It has a website or two and a couple of Facebook pages that you can follow. Yeah. And they yeah. give you updates on the, on the flow of the river. It's looking at 18 million liters a second or something. Sure. Something insane go over those waterfalls. Yo, that's a lot. Always, I always warn the folks that when you go to the falls, we stay in a hotel on the Zambian side. And uh, the Zambian side, the, the falls, the falls is a slopes ever so slightly from Zambian side down to the Zimbabwe side. So when yeah. the river is low, that's what's called the Devil's Cataract in Zimbabwe is the place that gets the water. Okay. But... At high flood, obviously, the water goes all the way up to the Zambian side as well. But the yeah. spray, the spray there has created its own little ecosystem and it's got its own little rainforest. Oh, nice. And nice. I actually warn the folks that when you go to the falls, because they never actually believe you. Yeah. <laughs> and you say, you've got to wear a rain. Why must I wear a raincoat? Don't I? Trust me. Wear a raincoat. I say, guys, <laughs> what you need to do is when you leave your room, walk through the swimming pool. Okay? Walk through the swimming pool and then go to the falls. Because yeah. that's how wet you're going to get anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't believe you. And I don't believe you. But I mean, and, and literally, you, I mean, you've got to stand at some of those viewpoints, and you're in this, in, it's a whiteout. And yeah. the, wind, the wind comes and it starts swirling, and you see the clouds starting to twist and turn. Oh, and then suddenly awesome. this thing just opens in front of you. Oh, wow. And you get this huge vista. I mean, the ground is shaking under your feet. Yeah. With that water that's it's, tumbling over yeah. those falls, it's trembling. And this thing opens up, and you get the little rainbow through the spray, and this, oh, it's, oh, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing. Stunning. It's absolutely magnificent. Now I'm really pissed off that I can't see. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, that's what I've got coming up over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I'm sure there's going to be a good couple of coach stories that come out of this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for you to come back. I want to hear all those stories. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun over the next couple of weeks. There's no oh, question. Yeah. Thank goodness it's coming back. And I hope, just hope the other guys, the other operators are getting work in now as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, road trip app. I need, I need tourists for my road, tri- road trip app. need people to download it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's very quiet on the app at the moment. But we haven't got the tourists. Yeah, yeah. But tourists are just not here yet. So... Let's hope it picks up. We missed we yeah. missed the opportunity over our, over this last year, the last summer season. Omicron tended to put a horrible stop to our last tourist season. Yeah, yeah. But we're at the end of it now. My guys always come out this time of year because of the floods at Vic Falls. That's there. Yes. But the good news is he's given. I've normally had got like this this one little burst, but I've got two more groups from him coming September October. Yeah. And. Uh, Again, I think that's a nice indicator because that's normally the kickoff of our tourist season. Yeah. Around yeah. that start, end August, start September, October was always the beginning of our really, really busy tourist season. And hopefully, the main season then kicks in this year for everybody involved in tourism. We so desperately yeah. need it. 
And no, we've got no. such magic venues and such beautiful places to show everyone in South Africa. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> so, guys, go download the Road Trip app. And uh, I think we're quickly going to go listen to some music. Uh, you can find Road Trip app uh, on Facebook, Road Trip SA. And you, of course, can find it on all your platforms for your different phones. Go take a look at it. It's an awesome app. And, uh, yeah, let's go listen to some music. And we'll be back shortly.
nice number there by Elton John and George Michael. Don't let the sun go down on me. Talking about the sun. <laughs> Diedrich was just telling me something hilarious. <laughs> I, I, don't know that, I don't know if you engineered that no. or if that was pure coincidence. It was pure coincidence that that well, song that, was that, playing. That now. is going to get me believing in karma and wheels turning. I was just telling Gerald because Gerald always loves to hear the weird stories and the fun, the bits of funny stuff that happens on these tours. Uh, one of the, I don't know, more obscure questions I got asked the one day is <laughs> du- Dutch group. Okay, I made my living out of out of Dutch tourists for many, many years as tour guide on the pre-arranged itineraries. There's one gentleman walks up to me one day after he's been in the country five, six days. He walks up to me and says, <laughs> did you please help me out with this? I'm really struggling with this concept. I goes, nope, no problem. What can I do for you? He says, when I stand in Holland... And I wake up in the morning and look at the sun. The sun comes up on my left and mm-hmm. goes down on my right. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Your left is east and right is west. Makes sense. <laughs> this is when I stand here in South Africa. I do the same thing. I look at the sun. But now the sun comes up on my right-hand side and goes down on my left-hand side. I go, yeah. And in all seriousness, he asks me, is it the same sun? <laughs> Is it the same sun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my son. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I managed to keep a straight face on that one. <laughs> and um, I then explained to him that he's now on the other side of the equator. So that's hard. He, he, he got it. But that was, that was one of the, the stranger questions I got. <laughs> and it's not look, it's not it's not you know these questions and and people are genuinely confused they just they just haven't got it and it's not a stupidity thing it's just they just yeah. haven't worked something out yeah again the one time we we explaining that we're about to fly up to Victoria Falls and um, I'm giving the folks the briefing on the coach the day before listen you know we're going to stay in a hotel we stay in the hotel normally at at our tambo and this is to walk across into the international departures guys yeah. you need your passports ready and you know and the one lady in all seriousness goes we need our passport to go to victoria falls said yes ma'am we're flying into zambia and uh, victoria falls and he goes but why do i need a passport it's africa <laughs> and somehow <laughs> The concept of Africa for her was the same as the U.S. or something. Yeah. And did not understand that Zambia, Zimbabwe, etc. are all separate. She'd been, and she'd been on tour with us. So she'd gone through Swaziland. She'd gone through Lesotho. She'd shown her passport multiple times to cross <laughs> some of these borders. In fact, I think that year we even went into Maputo, into Mozambique. And so it was really strange to me that she suddenly was questioning why she can't leave her passport in her suitcase because they yeah. want to go to Zambia. <laughs> she, and uh, She drank the wrong pills that morning, I think. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't get that Zambia was an entirely different country. She was most upset that we and I had to take passports and go through all the drama <laughs> because it's Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There's oh, that lovely. one. Then, of course, now I think it's Diabat's favorite... Um, the pyramid. Favorite story. <laughs> in Port Elizabeth... There's a lovely memorial on top of the hill in a little place called the Donkin Reserve. So Rufain Donkin was governor of the Cape at the time of the arrival of the 1820 settlers. But when 
he was sent out from the UK with his wife. His wife unfortunately died en route on board ship. Yeah. And her name was Elizabeth. And that's where the name Port Elizabeth comes from. Yeah. And again, okay, I speak out of memory here, but there's a little inscription. The pyramid is the memorial to Elizabeth Duncan. Yes. And on the memorial is a little inscription about something in memory of the most beautiful person to have ever existed or to the most pure soul to have ever existed. You know, it's it's a very, very touching, very, very heartfelt yeah, yeah. Um, little um, inscription on that. <clears throat> and what I would do to put a bit of fun in the in the on the day we'd 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 always come in kind of late the day before and we'd i think we, we we used to go out for dinner get into the hotel and then in the morning you'd do a little bit of a pe city tour yeah so you cover the the campanile you'd go past the horse memorial that beautiful one for all the, and the horses that died in the anglo-boer war yeah. you'd, you'd drive past um the donkin reserve and i would made a point and ask the coach driver to have a quick stop there and yeah. what I would do first is I'd, I'd chase out all the men first. I'd tell all the ladies to sit down. And I'd chase all the husbands out and say, listen, yeah. go and read that inscription on this, on this little pyramid. And uh, I hope that you all feel the same way about your wives. Yeah. So, of course, the wives are now all curious and intrigued about this whole thing. And they're <laughs> building up this anticipation in the coach. Yeah. And all the gentlemen would run out and go, oh, my God, what's Diedrich up to this time? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they'd come back sort of giggling and smiling and carrying on. And then eventually I'd let the ladies out. <laughs> and, of course, the ladies goes running across there now to go and see yeah. what, what, what this is all about. <laughs> and the one to uh, the, the gentleman has come back in the coach and is sitting down. And this lady comes into the door, and uh, in Dutch, I'll translate it for you now, but in Dutch she, she shouts out, Hey, schat, waar is mijn piramide? <laughs> and out of the back of the coach, the husband answers, Wacht maar voor vanavond, schat. <laughs> and uh, that translates into the lady walking into the bus saying, Hey, darling, where, where's my pyramid? And the husband asking, just wait till tonight, darling. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's and everyone, that was laughing. the bus gone for the rest of the morning. <laughs> that was that set the tone for the entire day. Yeah. I think that day was like at Elephant Park and stuff like that. We went off to. <laughs> <laughs> but that wow. was that was just such a such a quick and such a smart reaction by those two. Yeah, that was just yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I could have been a fly against the wall. Oh, yes. <clears throat> have we still got any time left? Are we we out of time now? No, we still got about uh, twenty five minutes left. Oh my word! Yes. Okay, well, where, where, where are we going? Come, give out. <laughs> get get the get the thought processes running here. Get the thought processes running here. Crookshook. Crook's Corner. Crook, yeah, yeah Crook's you always corner. enjoyed Crook's Corner. They always enjoyed the story of Crook's Corner. <laughs> yeah. In the in the days of the South African Republic, South African Republic and the, and the Paul Kruger. Yeah. Obviously, wildlife hunting and wildlife products were a very, 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 very big part of the economy. In fact, that's one of the reasons the Kruger Park was established by Paul Kruger, because he realised that large part of the of the economy of the South African Republic dependent on wildlife. Yeah. Because the low felt at that stage was still a malaria disease ridden area that couldn't really be utilized. Yeah. 
and the farmers had to stay up on the highlands on the, on the plateau. But come winter time, there's no more farming, so the guys would disappear down into the low felt to go hunting. Yeah. But there was one character, a guy by the name of Barnard, who operated, let's call it on the fringes of the law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a beautiful, beautiful book written by uh, probably one of South Africa's best storytellers, a guy by the name of T.V. Bulpin. Okay. A whole series of books. And I've just seen, I was in, in a bookshop the other day, there's actually a reprint series now of all the TV bullpen books. Oh, which okay. Is, which is magnificent. He's got stories on the Republic. He's got stories on the, on, on the, on, on the gold mines. He's got stories on old Rhodesia. He's got, he's got, a, he's got a, yeah. a collection of stories and books that, he, that is out of this world. And he's a fantastic writer and storyteller. And I can recommend that you go and hunt those books down now by TV yeah. Bullpen. But uh, in 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 his one in his one book, he he tells the story of of Barnard. Now Barnard, young adventurer, arrives in South Africa, and we're probably talking. And again, I'm talking out of memory. Here, we're probably talking 1830s, 1840s, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit later. Yeah. But he arrives. He's got a little bit of money. He gets himself kitted out, and he disappears into the into the wilderness to go and make his fame and fortune as an ivory hunter. Yeah, at that day, still very legal and very very profitable. But he got ambushed by a bunch of Shangans somewhere in the Lowfelt, and got beaten half to death by these guys. And they made off with his, all his kit, his wagons, his rifles, his clothes, oh, his wow. money, absolutely yeah. everything. He, got, he literally got left with his underpants. <laughs> and he got beaten half to death. But he, he survived the beating. And he walked out. And he got the, the nickname Vakenya. Vakenya. Okay. And that means somebody who swaggers as he walks. Yeah. Because as he came out there, he was so sunburnt and his feet were so sore that he couldn't walk properly. Yeah. And that's where he got that swagger from. Yeah. He could, and eventually he made it out. He recovered. <clears throat> and obviously he, he then managed to kit himself out again. And he was a lot wiser and a lot more streetwise <laughs> the yeah. next time. And he did eventually get revenge on these Shangans. Uh, uh, but that's a story you're going to have to read in... in in the book, the the, the books, so the book's called "Lost Trails of the Transvaal." Lost trails of the Lost Transvaal. trails of the Transvaal. That's one okay. of them. The other one is the Ivory Trail. Oh yeah, beautiful, beautiful books. But but Kenya now operated over the borders. He now he's now operating in southern Zimbabwe. He's operating in Mozambique, and he's operating now in eventually what's going to become the Kruger National Park. Yeah, and. Actually, probably a little bit later, probably the late 1800s. And in southern Zimbabwe, you've got the Gonorizao National Park. Also fantastic. Oh, my God. It's one of those little places of African heaven Yeah, in, in that park. Also, it's, a, it's one of these places full of baobab trees and just, you know, you've got the Savi River there. It's just amazing. Yeah. You've got northern Kruger and you've got... The old, what is now part of the Transfrontier Park, but what used to be one of the hunting concessions in Mozambique. And Vikenia operated over that whole area, but obviously he's now crossing international borders. 
Yes. So the guys are now starting to get a bit irritated with him. <laughs> and the police are now starting to look for him. And then he keeps on jumping the borders. And he, man- he manages to escape arrest. His whole yeah. life he escaped arrest. And one of the best stories of his is, I think it is, in fact, yeah, I think it, was, it must have been the late 1920s or something. He's now an older guy. He's now trying to dis- uh, trying to settle down, and in yeah. his own words, he's trying to become a respectable member of society. <laughs> he actually went to the police commissioner. Yeah. Out of the blue, he walks into the police commissioner's office, I think in Johannesburg or Pretoria, and he knocks at the door and he sits down and shakes hands and police commissioner says now so well how can i help you who are you and what can i do for you and he introduces himself and the the commissioner looks at him and says you got to be kidding me (laughs) you are that barnard he says yes i'm that barnard (laughs) and the guy sits down he says whoa you sit right here calls one or two his mates in introduces him he says we got barnard in the office and he says, says literally, I mean, we've been hunting you for 30 years. And now you come and sit in my office. What, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and Barnard says to him straight, well, I want to see, clear up any misperceptions and whatever you got of me. And uh, yeah, I want to just clear the record so that there's nothing outstanding. So the guy holds a file out that's just <laughs> like half a foot thick of, of files. And he goes through and he says, yeah. all it is is very old and outdated allegations of hunting and a bit of poaching and yeah. across border this and across border that so let's just let's just scrap it all and we start from start scratch. from scratch <laughs> <laughs> and he got away with and it and he got away with it Almost beautiful fun. story <laughs> just walks into the police commission's office and sits down on the chair with like 25 warrants of arrest out for him but oh, the story wow. of, of of crook's corner crook's corner is where three countries come together you got south africa you got zimbabwe and you got mozambique Obviously, yeah. in those days, it's Portuguese, East Africa. It's a South Africans Republic. And that was still the Bechuanaland Protectorate. Yeah. Oh, that was the Bechuanaland Protectorate. It was, it was Southern Rhodesia. Sorry, Southern Rhodesia. Bechuanaland Protectorate was, was Botswana. Yeah. And that little corner became a hideout for a whole gaggle of criminals and guys being hunted by the law. Because when the police came, you could hop over the border or just run across the river and you're another country. <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, and then I couldn't get you. Yeah. But the raids started becoming so frequent that our Barnard started getting kind of irritated with us. <laughs> because he was constantly having to pack up his camp and move when he had reports yeah. from his spies. I mean, I understand this guy organized a whole gaggle of spies with the Shangans and little information channels. And so yeah. news of any kind of police raid would reach him at least a week before they <laughs> actually advanced. arrived there. And the cops couldn't understand why they could never catch him. <laughs> so, but eventually, what he decides to then go and do is he, he there's a beacon, there's a beacon at Crook's Corner, which is now officially the point where all these three countries come together. Yeah, and he decided it was way too much PT to keep on moving camp, so he actually <laughs> dug up the beacon <laughs> <laughs> and he made the beacon mobile. <laughs> so every time he heard that someone was coming, he would move the beacon strategically so that his tent now was on the other side of the beacon to the police from whatever country they were coming from. And <laughs> when he was asked about this at one stage, he says, well, you know, that was a lot easier than packing up my camp every single time. We just yeah. kept on moving the beacon around. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, 
at the end of the day, if the police of all three countries all arrived at the same day, yeah, then he's back. He said he put the beacon in the middle of his tent and he'd sit on it, and he let the police fight it out amongst themselves to see who would take him. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome! <laughs> oh, I love. But good, again, cool. those those books by TV Pulpen. You've got to have them on your bookshelf as part of your collection. Is if you're in any way, yeah. shape, or form interested in a bit of that history of that period, and I mean, it's the whole gold mining in Joburg, and yeah, and he just writes it so well. He writes it so well, and one of my favourite stories that he's got in one of those stories as well as the the story of Majaji, Majaji the Rain Queen. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember something about that. The rain queen in the mountains around Sanin. Now, it's an interesting piece, of, actually a very, very interesting piece of history there. Because when the first Portuguese were coming in along the, the east coast of what is now Mozambique, they, would, they, they started exploring, and the first records we have of a European explorer sort of coming into what is now the Kruger Park, the northern Kruger Park area is somewhere around the early 1500s, middle 1500s. Yeah. And he reported that he came into contact with very, very active and vibrant villages and a civilization, an African civilization. And it appears, if you look at the ruins of the the villages along that along that area that it was tied to the civilization and what is now known as Great Zimbabwe. Yeah, yeah. Now Great Zimbabwe, there's no question, was a flourishing civilization of some description. Yeah. We don't know a heck of a lot about it, but they still busy in the in the eleventh. 11th century it started up and you're talking abandoned in the 15th century so the villages that these Portuguese found were maybe right at the end of that huge Period, Great Zimbabwe yeah. civilization and they tied together because of the architecture, if you look at the ruins of Great Zimbabwe <clears> you can see a certain style of building with the stones and the patterning on the walls yeah, yeah. and that patterning is carried on through down the down the eastern border of Kruger, and in fact, it even goes as far down as um, I think we've touched on Mapungubwe, yeah, um, at the border where Botswana, Zimbabwe, and South Africa come together with the Limpopo and the Shashi rivers join. You've got Mapungubwe where they found that beautiful little golden rhino statue and that stuff, and that yeah. also appears to have been part of the Great Zimbabwe crowd or civilization, yeah. but. That somehow imploded. Roman Empire imploded. Great Zimbabwe imploded. Who knows? Yeah. Corruption or too big or starvation or no Something, reasons given. Yeah. But it it collapsed. Yeah, and they're still busy excavating. It's a constant. It's a constant yeah. excavation. I mean, South Africa's got a couple of these excavations happening in northern Kruger. Tulamela, for example, is still being excavated. Also, seems to have ties. To Great Zimbabwe. In fact, yeah. we covered Tulamela in our podcast on the Northern Kruger, that one that's just about to hit 100. It's going to hit 100 downloads today. It was a 99 last night. It's got to hit 100. If it doesn't hit 100, <laughs> I'm going to make it hit 100. That <laughs> the Rain Queen somehow, Majaji somehow seems to have ties to, to that Great Zimbabwe culture. 
Yeah. And another interesting one is the name Palabora. Palabora, where that great big mine is and the entrance gate to Kruger. Yeah. Palabora means better than the south. Oh, okay. <laughs> and again, that was given, the name was given to that area apparently by refugees from Great, from Great Zimbabwe as well. Okay. That these guys came south from Zimbabwe as this kingdom was imploding. They moved out, they fled, they came south. They went south and hit malaria and tsetse fly and stuff, turned around and went north again and settled at Palabora. Yeah. And that history is explained in that lovely little Masarini Museum just inside the Palabora Gate. Five or six kilometers from the Palabora Gate, you can actually go with a guide up the side of the mountain and explore this little Iron Age village. Yeah. And they became very successful because they had the secret of making iron. They yeah. knew how to smelt iron. And that Palabora area, you look at the geology and stuff, they chose it very well. They understood it. And they built up a very, very successful little economy. They're selling iron goods and spearheads and, and stuff like yeah, that from yeah. their village at Masarini. So it's not beyond the bounds of reality that that is one group of refugees. And Wajaji coming out of there yeah. is also a refugee from the Karonga, the Karonga Empire. And um, it's a beautiful story. She was apparently, I mean, now going into the realm of legend and myth and, yeah, and yeah. all the rest of it, but it's a beautiful story. She was apparently one of the princesses who fled the collapse now of Great Zimbabwe. So she moved south yeah. with her whole entourage, <laughs> along with one or two regiments of soldiers to protect her, etc., etc., etc. But her family was the custodian of the secret of making the rain. Yeah, yeah. She, they, the family knew the spell and the magic behind making the rain. They eventually find refuge in the mountains where Majaji is now. Now, if you know that area, those Tsunin Mountains, beautiful lush mountains, lots of caves, yeah, lots of hideaways yeah. and kloofs and ravines and stuff. So, a good spot to hide. Yeah, yeah. But she had the magic of making the rain, but she didn't have the final recipe if that makes sense okay <laughs> and the recipe of making the rain depended on getting various methods or not methods or techniques or medicines or herbs or from spices. herbs and stuff from various tribes around in southern africa yeah so she then now settled in the in the mountains around Sanin, she now had to gather these various medicines. Yeah. So, as any good love story has, one of the senior warriors is actually secretly in love now with the queen, and she knows this, but she can't marry him because he's a commoner and yeah, yeah. all that good stuff. And she then asks for volunteers now to go forth and find all these various medicines. Yes. As an example, the medicine of courage had to come from the Zulus. Oh, okay. The, mes <laughs> the, 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 um, the, the, the medicine of, for example, cunning yeah. had to come from the Tswanas. The Tswanas don't have the crocodile as their totem for no reason. They are like yeah. crocodiles. They, they are very cunning. They are quiet. They do nothing until you are provoked, and then they will clap yeah. you. 
<laughs> okay? So the medicine of cunning has to come from the Tswanas. Yeah. So all of these stories get, get told now as this young warrior now has to go and collect these various medicines. And he has to now go undergo the trial by fire, for example, of the Zulus to prove his courage. Yes. He has to go undergo tests with the Tswanas to prove his cunning. And... The whole story revolves now around this young warrior now collecting these medicines. Yeah. And he eventually brings all of this stuff to the queen. And the queen is now desperately trying to break a drought. And she's got the medicines, but it's not working. Yeah. It's just not working. And eventually, somehow, she, she gets to understand that one last quest is necessary. And, of course, this warrior... This young guy volunteers because he knows that if he does this, he yes. he's got a he's got a chance now of <laughs> yeah. of of the love of the queen. I mean, they they there, but it still can't happen. Yeah. But basically, it's a suicide mission, and he goes, and he is put to death. Ooh. And the medicine of that comes back to the queen, and she gets that last ingredient, and she goes into the cave now to. Make the, the rain. Yeah. That's her job. She's the rain queen. Majaji's the rain queen. Some kind of ritual. It's a massive <laughs> ritual involving all of these various medicines from all these different tribes around around yeah. Southern Africa. And while she's now casting her spell in the depths of this cave, the grief overtakes her because she's now lost her love. Her warrior yeah. is now dead. Yes. And the very last ingredient to make the rain was her tears. Yeah. And as her tears fell now into this mix yeah. of the medicine, that was the last ingredient that was needed, and the rain came. Yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome story. <laughs> and Majaji, Love story. I mean, it's an, un, it's an unbroken line of queens from 1500 and something. Yeah. It's obviously from mother to daughter to daughter to daughter to daughter. Yeah. But and they she's, never, she's, she's, she's hardly ever seen in public. She has her palace in the yeah. mountains um, outside Sanin. You you can actually visit what they call Majaji Saikad Forest. Again, that's a kind of surreal spot up in the mountains. It's this massive mountaintop covered almost entirely in these Saikads. It's yeah. like going back into like 65 million years ago into dinosaur yeah. land. You expect, you expect a triceratops to pop around the corner <laughs> when, you, when you walk through there. And yeah, and you, at one at one point, I don't know if you can still get there, but I mean, we drove past the gates to the palace, and it's, it's, it looks like something out of out of out of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, huge <laughs> gates and stuff. Oh, I mean, wow. it's, it's, it's 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 like mythical magic magic land. Yeah, oh, but wow. yeah, she Nelson Mandela when Man, Mandela became president actually requested an audience with her with 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 her highness Queen Majaji. Which okay. was granted. Mandela paid her tribute and gave gave her tribute as well to ensure that everything would be running smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so very very powerful, very powerful lady, and still holds a lot of sway. And I mean, it's just I just think it's such a beautiful story. Yeah. That fits into the sort of the myth and legend, and it fits into that into that kind of country. I mean, you've got the Bavenda that live up there as well. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit further north. Of that, and I mean, you look look at some of their myths and legends. When you look at the 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 the, the snake, the snake legend that they have there in their okay. in their in their sacred lake and stuff, 
and when you when you travel that that part of the country you've got those mountains ravines and i mean you, it's not hard to imagine when you're standing if you're visiting for example the cycad forest you got a bit of misty yeah. misty kind of and you can you can you can feel the spooks <laughs> and you drive you drive north up towards bite bridge and you cross that area that's yeah. just full of baobab trees and it's just different it's just a different world and it's just so it's ah it's great it's just, yeah. i just love it yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well and we on the mark eh? we did i, did I time mark. that well yes we did <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but i love these two that we did uh it was it was awesome it was really a little bits and pieces of everything we already discussed and of course the pit stops app and then uh, the road trip app go take a look at them go download them it's really awesome apps and uh Diedrich, thanks once and today, again today today i've always got to throw in the anniversary day today's yes. a monday okay we, we thrown it out a little bit <laughs> 122 years ago today one of the turning points of the anglo World war yeah the battle of paderberg Paderberg, Horse Mountain, okay. where General Piet Cronier eventually surrendered to the British. Ah, okay. He'd been surrounded, he basically gave up, and that was the first big surrender of the Boer forces to the British today, 122 years ago, 1900. Sure. Very wow. big, but very great pity. Yeah. He could have made it, lots of, lots of tacticians said he played it wrong, he could have, could have fought his way out of it. He could yeah. have prolonged the war. Had he stayed in, the course of the war might have changed, but that's all what-ifs and maybes and yeah. perhapses and buts. <laughs> but that happened today. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I like these bits and pieces of information. It's just like a, it's like a. Excellent, man. But in any case, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, it will be made available on podcast anytime soon. And uh, thanks for listening today here on Radio EcoHealth. There you go, guys. Please download those apps for me. Cheers. Yeah, See you again. Do it. Do it. Brother Bellas in the back, sweet singers in the front, cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun. Suddenly red blue lights flash us from behind Loud voice booming, please step out onto the line Ballet bridge words of comfort, Sino just hides her eyes Policeman taps the shades, is that a Chevy 69? How bizarre How bizarre, how bizarre Destination unknown as we're pulling for some gas a freshly placed poster reveals a smile from the pack. Elephants and acrobats, lions, snakes, monkey. Bella speaks righteous, Sister Cena says funky. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. Stuck around.